Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Yeah, so, you know, I've done a lot of things throughout my life. I currently work for a leadership development company. So we do leadership coaching and strategic planning for companies um, and that sort of thing. But I kind of have had a, an interesting arc. So I started out in, in retail and did retail management. I actually managed a 24-hour Kinko store at one time, um, moved on to the nonprofit world, and then rolled back into the for-profit world eventually. But really, my whole life has been spent leading others, and I spend a lot of time building strong relationships with the people that I work with. Um, I get a lot of joy out of seeing the progression of others in their careers. Um, and that's really what, what I'm all about. That's how I actually came about you know, writing the book and that sort of thing as well. Were you, so would you say being a leader was something you were more born with or more with something you had to come into over time? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because um, I actually talk about that in my book. I am a firm believer, believer that leaders are made and not born. Um, I think my... Uh, career and life um, really speaks to that because I started out, I am a, actually a very big introvert. Um, you wouldn't know it because I love speaking in front of people and that sort of thing, but started out pretty quiet throughout my life. And, and we can talk about some of that and why that was, but I didn't really start to get into leading other people and that sort of thing until college. Um, it was kind of an interesting story. I was kind of quiet, kept to myself, didn't really want to be associated too much with other people. But somebody who was in my residence hall came and said, hey, um, we have to write a constitution for our residence hall in order to get recognized by the student senate so that we can request m money to do activities and things. Would you be willing to be on a committee to do that? And it seems like such a small thing, but that's where it all started. And like, I just took off and ran from there. I actually helped start three or four brand new student organizations when I was in college and I was president of, of all of them at one point or another. And it kind of just went from there. So, <laughs> well, well, let's rewind a little bit. Let's see, you talked about being a, a more of an introvert. I mean, so who was uh, Darby like before then, before, before college, before that kind of situation, who was a young Darby? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I was probably, I suppose, seven or eight, like second grade. So seven or eight, I lived in a small town and I lived there from birth. Um, my father and grandfather um, owned a Ford, a Ford car dealership there. And we kind of were just were doing our thing. And it, this was in the, the mid 80s and the economy kind of went bad and people stopped paying their bills to the Ford dealership. And basically it just came around to the, the dealership was going to have to close um because they just weren't bringing in the revenue and like i remember having the conversation with my family i can tell you the car we were in what i was eating where i was at when they said we have to move um and it kind of started from there and i i remember at one point we got in the car and our parents basically said we're going to start driving west and we're going to stop uh, along the way and find um until your dad finds a job and that's where we're going to end up and that's how we started off but that started a series of moves and I moved, I don't know, five or six times over the course of five or six years and I changed schools a lot. And I think I just kind of got to the point where I'm like, eh, it's not really worth the time. Like I didn't consciously say that, but 
I think I just got to the point where I'm like, it is not worth the time to make friends. So I am done with this. So I think that's probably part of it. I think, um, you know, part of it was just how I was brought up as well. I'm pretty reserved anyway, but then that just led to it more. <laughs> did, did you have any sort of resentment towards your parents? No, I really didn't. I mean, I we had a good life and everything. I, I was frustrated with changing schools. And I remember one of the last times that I changed, that we moved and I changed schools, like I said, I'm not going. Like we had to have a long discussion. I like, I refuse. And I, like we were standing outside my new classroom and the teachers trying to convince me to go in and everything. And it was like fourth grade, but, but, uh, but no, it, you know, I, I, I didn't resent it at all. They did what they had to do. It was a struggle for them. I'm sure. Um, they certainly didn't let on to, to me or my brother that, that we were having any major issues other than obviously we had to move to find work and stuff, but, but yeah, it, it was, it was good. Now, what was your process like? I mean, of going to school to school, I know you said, okay, well, you know what, I'm not going to get friends, but was that fully no friends? Was it learning new systems, new procedures? I mean, was there any kind of uh, structure or system you had in place? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there was any structure or system. I, I mean, I, I recognized pretty early on, it was a lot harder for me to make friends than it was for my brother. He was a lot more outgoing, more of an extrovert. He could kind of like make friends with anybody. Um, for me, it was it was a little bit more difficult. Um, and I tended to make a few really good friends, whereas he would like go hang out with anybody um, anytime. Um, so, and that's pretty common for introverts. Um, we, we tend to, even in my life now, like I have this a core group of really good friends um, and that's kind of who I, I stick with and, and uh, go from there. But yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about the idea of, okay, building systems in, in college. And then from college, you start uh, kind of going up the ranks and you're jumping to one company to the next company. I mean, constantly moving around. I mean, what's that procedure now, I guess, if you were to take over another company of kind of getting acclimated to the employees, acclimated to the people? I mean, is there something you you look to do every single time or a process you have you go through? Yeah, so I'm a firm believer in the idea that past history really dictates who we are and how we act um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And you can use that for a positive or for a negative sometimes you don't do you know you know you're doing it for a negative you can even use a negative experience so i mean i would consider that a negative experience growing up moving around and everything but i used it for a positive because what that meant is is i got really good at like understanding things on my own and learning things on my own and making sure that um i had you know, I have all my ducks in a row all the time. So it made me a really organized leader um, and it made me really um, strategic in my thinking and how I interact. But when, I, so the other thing is, is like, it also meant that like in my career, I tend to have stayed at companies for a long period of time. Um, maybe that's why, maybe it's not, but I tend to get in and, and I will stay somewhere as long as I feel like I'm doing good work and actually benefiting that organization and it's benefiting me as well. Um, but yeah, when I come into a, a new organization, I tend to kind of sit back. Um, I can use my experience at Kinko's. So at, at Kinko's, when I took over my store, I actually took over a store um, from a woman who was stepping down um, because she wanted to have kids and 24 hour stores just did not lend itself well to that um, environment. She wanted to take a step back. 
So it was an interesting experience because she was actually stepping down and she became my assistant manager. So I took over her store. Um, and so it's a unique situation anyway, but I've used that scenario um, throughout my career. So when I came into that store, I didn't come in and say, you're doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. We're going to change all of this um, or that sort of thing. I just sat back. I worked in the store. I observed all of the employees and how they interacted, where all of the equipment was and how well that worked and everything, probably for about three months um, before I then started saying, you know what, let's let's make some changes. We're going to rearrange some things. I think this will be more efficient. Um, and my assistant manager, who had been the store manager, it made her uncomfortable because that was not what she was used to. And, and she questioned some things. And I said, you know, just let's give it some time. Um, and eventually she actually came back and said, you know what, these changes you made, they work so much better. Um, but really taking the time so that it doesn't feel like, I don't ever want it to feel like I'm dictating to something to somebody because that's not a, that's not how I, I, I lead people. I don't think that's a great way to lead people. Um, and I really use that process in every organization that, I, that I've come into to kind of you know observe and learn first and see how it works because I need to understand what works and what doesn't and why they do things the way they do them, ask a lot of questions. And then you can start to make some changes if you feel like those are necessary down the line. Was there ever a time when, I mean, even in that situation where the assistant manager, the old boss um, undermined you? Because I would think if you're making changes and maybe some of the employees don't feel comfortable with those changes, they might go to the old management and say, hey, what about this? What's going on? Did anything like that ever happen? Yeah. So, I mean, not that I ever was aware of anyway, and she was pretty good about telling people, hey, you need to go ask Darby because he's the one that needs to make that decision. Um, and they got used to that pretty quickly in that scenario. I have certainly had other cases um, in my career where I've been undermined by employees or um, other individuals, but you know, you work through those things and you have those conversations with those individuals. And sometimes you bring them on along and sometimes, you know, you have to make a decision to part ways um, in those situations. Well, well, walk us through one of the situations. I mean, if if some if you feel you're getting undermined by someone, right, what would be the process? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is, is I'm really big on communication. I, I think people do things for a reason. So I need to understand why it is that they're doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying. I also want them to understand if it's about a decision I made or something. I want them to understand the decision and why I made the decision. Um, I'm one of my personal core values is authenticity. So I'm, I'm an open book. I will tell you what it is. Or there, are, of course, are scenarios where I can't tell you everything because I'm not permitted to tell you everything. I will tell you that. Like I'll just say, I, I, I can't explain that to you right now. I'm not I'm permitted to. But having those conversations with them and making sure that they understand where you're coming from. And usually I've been pretty good at being able to bring people along. Um, I've had situations where um, they definitely have turned around and been excellent employees. Um, I've had a couple where, you know, they continued to be an issue. And, and um, in rare cases, um, I've had to terminate people, but happily, I haven't had to do that a lot in my career. So that's good. <laughs> and you think probably it's like three months, that kind of window before you make any kind of drastic changes is probably where you can kind of get a feel, I guess, of the company, the entities. 
Yeah, I think it really varies on the organization that you're coming into as well. So in that scenario, I think a few months, three or four months um, made a lot of sense um, in coming into the situation I came into when I came into the nonprofit. It was a lot different because I actually knew very little about that industry. So I had a lot more to learn um, and there was just um, a lot to learn about moving into the nonprofit world because I had not been in that world. So that I would say I took a lot longer. Um, I would say, you know, we had some other challenges going on that led to um, the focus being more on putting out fires. So there was that, um, but it really was probably, it was probably nine months or, or, or longer before you really got things figured out so that you can start understanding and maybe making some strategic recommendations to the board of directors and that sort of thing. Was there ever a moment where you took over as a, as a leader, as a, as a manager, where you're almost unified and rejected for that? It, the fit that you had wasn't the culture that they wanted Did that ever happen? I don't know if I wouldn't say I had that scenario happen. Um, I, I did actually have a scenario happen um, when I went to the nonprofit. Um, it was it was kind of interesting. I, I interviewed by phone first. Well, no, I interviewed in person first with the interim executive director because they had an interim um, in place um, and then went forward to another interview with some board members. And those were by phone um, because the board's located all over the United States. And I think I was probably had a third interview with some other board members as well. And then I was hired and I actually came into the organization, started working with the interim executive director. And we had this six month um, overlap planned. And then he was going to go back into retirement because he was only meant to be there for a short time. Um, and a month later, after I started, the board flew in for a board meeting over over several days. And that was the first that I had met any of them in person. And I was pretty young at that point st still, but I had I had run a, a multi-million dollar Kinko store for um, five years. So um, I had had some experience, but I was young and I was young looking. And I I talk about this in my book as well, but I, I fully believe that when they saw me, they thought I looked young and they thought this kid is too young to be running our organization because they had their meetings and I did my part of the meeting and everything all weekend and they flew out. Um, and then the interim said, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I went in his office and he said, I he's like, I don't, I don't even know how to tell you this. He's like, they've decided they want to do a national search for an executive director. And I said, what? <laughs> and um, yeah, so they, 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 claimed this because I was pretty pissed by this point, obviously, and I had conversations with the board president. And the explanation I was given was, is that, no, no, we were never hiring for an executive director. We were hiring for an associate executive director. You're certainly able to apply for the executive director spot if you would like, um, and we'll consider you, but we're going to do this national search. Well, I took a rather huge pay cut to come, and I was basically told, take this pay cut. You're going to have this six month overlap. Once you take over, you'll go back up to this other rate. And I mean like $30,000 pay cut or more a year. Um, it was significant. So hearing all this, I was like, what kind of crap is this? <laughs> um, and in my head, I'm like, 
crap, I left this high paying job. I wasn't unhappy with, with what I was doing. I was just ready to get out of the retail world. And so I'm like, I left this high paying job where I was not unhappy. And I took this job because this is what was told to me. Um, and now they're saying no. So we played this game for the next three or four months and they interviewed other people and they actually flew in one one guy who actually came on site and they had a couple of board members come and they met with him um, and they were supposed to be meeting with me and the day went on and on and it was it was an awkward experience. At one point they had me meet with him to basically tell him what I do, <laughs> <laughs> what he would be doing. Um, Anyway, as it turns out, ultimately, he didn't accept the job. They offered it to him. They did eventually offer it to me, and my answer was probably not what they expected. I waited a while, and I basically said to the board president, I'm like, I don't have a choice. Like, I have to take this. So, you know, it started out not great. I would say I was there 11 years, so my experience overall was good. I had other challenging situations, of which I know you're aware of some others that I'm sure we'll get into, but... But overarching, it, it turned out fine. Eventually, they made it right with the pay. It took a couple of years, um, but eventually they made it right and got things back to where they needed to be. But so I wouldn't say I had the, the challenge that you you had, but I certainly have had points where I've um, had uh, some well, adversity to overcome. <laughs> well, so, so it sounds like, I mean, that they told you that you weren't right for it, but you could apply for it. They brought in other people to apply for it. Yet in the end, they found out that you would actually be the right fit for it. And so they gave you gave you the, the job. I mean, was there any moment in there where you said, okay, well, I got rejected once by you and I don't want to actually take the job now because you guys <laughs> already kind of rejected me on the job. Was there a moment like that? Was there, or was it simply like, you know what, I'm going to focus on the moment and then uh, deal with this opportunity? Oh yeah, yeah. So as I said, I'm I'm 100% authentic and authentically speaking, from the moment that I had that conversation with the interim executive director when I found out they decided that they were hiring for my job that I was hired for, I immediately started looking for another job. So that whole time over the course of those months, I was looking for another job. Um and I'm pretty picky with with <laughs> what I'm looking for. Um so I take a lot of time and so I let it play out and I just did my parallel thing looking for a job. And uh, it basically came down to it. I hadn't found anything that I had wanted um, to pursue at that point. So it really was like, I don't have a choice. I have to take this as it is. And they offered me way less than they initially told me. And like, <laughs> so for, for a few months, it was not great. And I had some really great conversations. The interim executive director, he was wonderful. Like it, it was not his fault at all. Um, and I didn't blame him. And he was awesome. He actually is, is somebody I consider um, one of my mentors. Um, and we had some conversations and his comment coming out of it was the very day when like the decision was done. And I said, yeah, I'll take it. He said, look, he's like, you have the job now. Now let's move on. And you show them, basically you show them what you can do. And that's what I did. And I ended up there for 11 years through many board different board members uh, over the course of time. So it worked out. <laughs> How long did that take for the echo to go away? Because I mean, I correlate, I mean, I, I could see that correlation of dating, being in a relationship and the person says, you know what, 
I don't really know if you're the best fit for me. I'm going to try to see if someone else is better for me. And then they go, you know what? I looked. All right. You'll work for me. You'll be you'll be good. Yet in that scenario, you would still be very kind of angry and kind of had doubts in your head. I mean, and yes, I mean, I think what he told you was, hey, you know, you got the job, make them whatever. Yet there'd probably be echoes in your mind, I think, over time. And it would take you a little time to get away from that. Did that happen or how long did that take to get away from that? Yeah. Um, the good news is, is I don't hold on to anger very long and grudges very long. So that's good. Um, I will say that I definitely felt like I had something to prove for quite a long time. Mm. Um, so every new thing, it just felt like there was that much pressure to be successful in what we were doing, what we were trying to accomplish. Plus the organization in itself was going through a lot of challenges anyway. So there was a lot that had to be overcome. Um, there was a lot to do um and a lot of time to put in so that distracted me enough especially early on and like i said it took a couple of years i would say that the that that feeling probably lasted plus you got to think some of those board members left every year and we got yeah. new board members so as people left um it made it a lot easier um and then a couple of years later a, a almost entirely new board by that point looked at this and said this is ridiculous what they're what they were paying you you need to be making more and they actually made the money part right and that probably was the biggest turning point because then it felt like okay at least I, i've been recognized now for um what i've done um to help this organization sustain itself i i mean the organization when i came in um and it took the interim and i both um the the overlap that we had and then me continuing on for a few more years it was almost collapsing at that point so um and that's what some of the challenges that were associated with it so they knew that there was a lot of crap that we dealt with and i say we because my whole team did at that point and it was very important um to have those individuals as well but um so they recognized it in the end <laughs> How do you how do you deal with because um, you talk about frustration, you talk about the stress. I mean, what's your process of dealing with the frustration, dealing with the stress? That's a great question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. I don't know that I, you know, I'm pretty far in my career and I'm not sure I've solved that one yet. But uh, um, I tend to just work through things. First off, um, I talk, I, I usually have a core group of um, a few people that I know I can talk to, um, to deal with some of the challenges. Um, I was really lucky in that organization that I, I had some really great um, board presidents later on um, that were wonderful to work with, um, that you could actually be totally upfront with and say, you know, this is what the issue is, and this is the challenges that we're having, and, and this is how I feel about it and everything. So having individuals to talk to really helps. And if you don't have those within your organization, and this is the whole thing with mentors, um, I, I, mentors are so important. And I think you need a, a variety of people. I think it's good to have people within your organization or within your industry, but it's good to have people outside of that as well. So I had some individuals that were outside of the industry as well that I could talk to that knew nothing about um, what we did on a day-to-day -day basis and actually get some kind of unbiased feedback at different times. Um, and that helps as well. Um, but I think overarching, honestly, I just, uh, because of the type of person I am, again, highly, highly organized, big on process. Um, so if I can get stuff done and check things off, like I, I'm good. Like I get satisfaction out of that. I get satisfaction out of the team that I worked with was amazing. 
we turned over a lot of people in the first four or five months that I was there. But the team that we built after that, when I left there, I, I had been there, like I said, 11 years. And when I left the average tenure on my team was about 10 years. So we kept people for a really long time. That really helps to have great people to work with as well. When does the, the book, the idea of putting a book come about? Was it, I mean, <laughs> during this process, was it after this process, later in life? And when did that start to come, come through? It's kind of one of those things I've been asked that before. And it's one of those things that all throughout my career, I've kind of kept notes. I've had some really interesting situations happen to me um, all throughout my career at different times. Um, and I've just kept notes on different interactions that I've had and everything. And it was always on the back of my mind. Eh, maybe I'll write a book someday. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so it wasn't any one thing. And then in the midst of uh, working at home at the beginning of 20 to 2020 um, with COVID, actually it was in the summer. We had been at home for a couple of months um, with the beginning of COVID and everything. I'm like, seems like a good time to start. So <laughs> I just took the stories and I started writing different things and I built stories around them. And eventually I started connecting them. And eventually those became chapters. And it's kind of how I, I, I started. I don't know that it's a great methodical approach to writing a book, but that's how I did it. <laughs> Was that the, the first time when you stepped out? And I mean, it sounds like for the, for the most part, most of your, your career was working for a company, getting paid, getting a steady paycheck, and being an author of your own book. I mean, it's really on the market to bear. The, the amount of money you get off it can vary. <clears throat> was this the first time that you actually had something separate from a steady paycheck? Yeah, I mean, it really has been. Um, I think that my entire career, I tend to with Kinko's, it's a little harder because that's a huge corporation. Um, but even in that scenario, like I, I was really into my store and making sure that like I, I treated it as if I was the owner. Um, it's not quite the same, obviously, because it's, I'm not on the line. If the store loses money, I might lose my job, but I'm not going to, you know, lose my whole livelihood or anything like that. Um, but I've continued that feeling throughout my career. Even at the nonprofit, it was very important to me. When we started out, we had we had no um, major uh, cash in the bank to to get by if we had any issues. So it was important to me to like build that up for that organization. Um, and then going into um, my role now um, in working with the uh, the founder and the CEO. Um, I approach it as if uh, I was an owner in the organization, but, but yeah, I mean, for the question that you're asking, you know, my book, this is the first foray into my own thing by myself that uh, I, I've had. Do you, I mean, you, you talked about a couple of times about the idea of pride, right? Making sure that you're, you're the, the company you work for did right. There was a seating. I mean, is there, is that a, a quality in you or is it a, is also a quality in the company when they're when they're hiring you or training you because i think there are a lot of business owners entrepreneurs that look to expand to the next level and one of the the consistent things i hear is no one's gonna love your business as much as you do right yeah yeah but it's like what you're saying i mean it almost feels like you have some of that similar love that maybe the owner of that that company would yeah i think it can be difficult i mean it definitely you have to find the right person um, I tend to be very loyal to the organizations I work for. As I mentioned earlier, like 
I stay somewhere. I, I won't make a decision to leave until I feel like I'm not being um, helpful to the organization. Um, I, I think that once you get to a point where, where you feel like this is just a job, then it's time to move on and do something else. Um, and I don't ever try, I, I don't like to get to that point. Um, and I think that's probably what helps me a little bit. Um, but certainly I think it's difficult for a founder or a CEO who owns a company. I mean, it's their baby. They invested their revenue, their money into it and, and everything um, to do that. So you just have to come to a certain level of trust. It also depends on what skills that you're looking for. So there are some CEOs out there and the premise of my book kind of deals with this. So you have people who are really great um, on the like the manager characteristics that are like highly organized and building process and those sort of things. Then you have the other side that are high visionary that are like come up with new ideas all the time and wanting to try new things all the time. Both things are good, but you don't want to really be at one far end or the other of the spectrum because it's bad if you're at one end. You want to be in the middle or you want to take the best traits. And the premise of my book is take the best traits of both manager traits and visionary and put them together. So understanding where you are with those traits um, is important because that helps you hire for the role that you actually need to hire for. And I don't mean a title. I mean actual duties and role that you need somebody to play in an organization. Because if you're a high visionary person, then you don't want to hire another high visionary person because you may not get a lot done. So you may want to hire somebody who um, is much more methodical, much more organized, who has the idea of uh, being able to actually look at your 10 ideas and say, those seven are crap. These other three we can do something with, and here's how we can do it. And these are the steps we're going to take to get there. So basically somebody that can can get stuff done. Um, so you're hiring for that particular role, not for a title, um, but for the actual role you need them to play within your organization to make it the most successful that it can possibly be. And that really goes for any level. That doesn't just go for executives. When we hire people in, in my organization now, when we're hiring leadership coaches, we're looking for, look at our current set of coaches and the skills that they have, and what they bring to the team. What are we lacking or what do we think we need to build more of? Because those things are gonna be so much more important. And, and in what's gonna happen is, is the organization's gonna be more successful because of it. That person's gonna be more successful because they're gonna fit, because that's what you hired them for. So you're gonna hire them for what they bring to the organization. One of the best things, or one of the last things we ask when we hire people, and I've kind of done this throughout my career, before we hire somebody, we sit down and we say, okay, great. They have all the resume, they have all the skills, um, whatever. How is this person gonna make this organization better? And if you can't answer that, then they may not be the right fit because you don't want a cookie cutter of somebody else. I'm When I'm hiring, I'm not looking to hire more Darby's. I don't need more Darby's. I need people that can fill the skill set that I don't have to challenge me and continue to push me. So those are the things that are important. And I think that that applies when you're when you're dealing with that founder owner relationship to somebody else. If you can find those people that fill the, the, the skills that you may not have or that you are not as strong in, um, it will help you be more successful in the long run. It also helps engage a lot of trust in that between those positions as well. What is there a, in in your opinion a a set time frame it takes for during the hiring process? I mean, I've had I've had people tell me I actually had a, a colleague of mine. They went through I think it was about ten different interviews before they actually got the job. 
And for me, that sounded pretty uh, extraordinary. And you mean talk to other people where it's it's very short. It's basically one or two interviews. They get a feeling, gut feeling. And okay, this is the right person. I mean, in your opinion, is there a set time frame interviews, anything like that? I don't think there's a set time frame. Um, 10 interviews sounds really excessive to me. That sounds exhausting on both sides. Um, however, um, I will say it depends on a variety of things. It depends on the company. If you're a smaller company, you may not need more interviews because you may not have a lot of levels because you can involve a lot of people in the interview process like right away. The other thing is, is it's the position you're hiring for. Um, you may not ask as you need to ask as many questions obviously if you're hiring an intern as you do for hiring a coo i am going to need to know a lot more info about you and your experience at the coo level than the intern level obviously so it depends on the position as well um and that that also goes with that is is looking at the position itself so for example when we hire leadership development coaches and facilitators um, we have a screening process, then we have um, an interview with the direct hire, and then we have a kind of a group interview with other um, people on our team. And on that same day, they actually will do a 15-minute mock facilitation or a 15-minute mock coaching session with us, and it'll be observed because that's what's required for that role. Like a resume can tell a lot, an interview can tell a lot, but we can't tell if you're gonna be able to coach or if you're gonna be able to facilitate a discussion unless we actually see some of it. And 15 minutes isn't very long and we know that, so it's, it's challenging for them anyway, but that's important for that process. Um, so that process takes, it takes some time because coordinating all those people's schedules to be involved in those, but it's important for that position. We wouldn't necessarily need to do that, obviously for an intern. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, we're, I mean, Talking about expansion, talking about your journey, I mean, where do you see your journey going in the next five years from now? <laughs> I'm not sure I can answer that. I kind of um, I uh, kind of live by the day, um, especially nowadays with all of COVID going on and everything. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only well, one. That's... Hopefully we're out of out of this by that, by that time. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. Um, but no, I mean... I, my goal is to continue to um, succeed um, in, in my role um, where I'm at, um, as well as expanding my, my presence with my book and doing speaking and that sort of thing. My goal with writing the book, this is funny because I, I, I work with a company that helps with like editing and stuff. And one of the first things they asked me when I was talking to them was, why do you want to write the book? Um, and I specifically said, you know, my first off, I have something I want to say, like, I just want, I want to say something. Um, I also want to build up and, and do more speaking. So, you know, that's kind of my goals. I'm not in it to get rich. That would be great if it happens, you know, great. Um, but that's not what I'm in it for. I'm in it because I have something I want to say. I think this topic is very important. Um, and that's really how I feel about my career. That's really how I feel about moving forward is I'm in this so that I can help other leaders be better and help them improve um, on their careers and improve leadership in general in this world, because I think that um, we have a lot of this or that right now. And what I say, I mean, the premise of my book is, is maybe it's not this or that, maybe it's both. And we need to take the best pieces of those two sides and put them together to make the best possible option for us. When you say this and that, are you talking about like the, the idea of the founder and kind of like the, the manager? 
So, yeah, I was speaking more broadly. I think that in in the, there's that, um, and that's what my the premise of my book is is that idea of manager and visionary and and that. But in general, in in this world right now, we have a lot of. Uh, um, you have to believe you're either with us or you're against us. Mm. Um, and I think that part of that is that our, our leadership in general, and I mean leaders of companies, I mean leaders in the um, political setting. Um, I mean, that's kind of why I went down this path of, of writing this, this book to help people focus on what are the most important things that I felt like um, from a leadership standpoint that should be focused on so that we can get some better leadership in, in organizations or in politics or whatever it may be. When, when you talk about, um, about being authentic, being, being your true self and, and speaking your truth, saying your stuff, the way you get that message across, has that changed since you first started as a leader compared to now as a leader? Yeah, I mean, of course, over time, you you alter your approach um, as you gain experience. Um, I probably have gotten better in some aspects at being uh, um, more understanding and um, more uh, of a of a politician in some in some aspects. Certainly, when I when I worked for a nine member board of directors. Um, you had a lot of personalities to manage. Plus, we had ten or twelve thousand members in our organization. Every single one of them believes they are your boss. <laughs> so, um, being able to navigate that took a lot of patience and a lot of um, skill over time. And I certainly learned a lot throughout that. But it's funny then, as I've gotten further in my career, and you get more experience, and you you kind of also get to a point where you know, like what are your what are your deal breakers like you you know where you're prepared to speak up and say mm, sorry you're wrong even when you know it might be difficult and that's hard and not everybody can do that it depends on the people that you work with um i'm lucky right now i work in a great organization um and one of our core values as a company is actually authenticity so it fits well with me um, I work for a CEO that's pretty open as well um, and certainly open to feedback and that helps. Not everybody is in that situation. Certainly, um, sometimes it's more um, like a dictatorship and that's not helpful. So it takes a, a lot of experience over time, um, but certainly, you know, you learn and adjust um, as time goes on and you adjust your role and your position, you adjust to the people around you. All of those things come into, into play when you're dealing with that. I'll finish off with this last question, right? You've talked about the growth from who you were as a leader and kind of like the, the hiccups you've gone through as a leader compared to now. And is there something you wish you could tell your younger self when they first got into that leadership role? It could be when they were in college. I mean, is there any advice that you would give to that person that you think would have allowed that growth to happen even faster? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I wrote the book about. It really is a, a whole bunch of pieces of advice that I wish I knew when I was coming into it. Um, probably one of the first things is, is, is when you accept a new job, get a letter in writing as to what it is and how much they're paying you. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think there's some, some fundamental things um, 
for anybody who who believes they're going to lead people or get into leadership in any form, whether it's in employment or you're leading an organization or a committee or um, something like that. But I think one of the things is is stay curious and keep learning because that's one of the most important things is is just keep learning new things. You should be curious. If you're not, um, you're not going to progress very far because everything's changing all the time. Um, the other thing is, is you have to understand not everything is always going to be easy. <laughs> um, I certainly, I, I highlighted one of the challenges in my career. I've had others. Um, I think I mentioned to you, I had uh, at one point, um, I had uh, a group of people sign a petition to have me fired even. So there's just things that are going to happen. There will be setbacks. You got to view them as challenges, view them as learning opportunities. It's not going to feel great at the time, but hopefully you look back and, and you understand like that you learn something from that one way or another. Um, and then the last two are one, just listen, listen to understand, not listen to respond. I think a lot of times people just mm -hmm. listen and they're trying to think because they know what they want to say and then they're not actually hearing you. Um, and that goes for you when you're working with team members of yours, that is coworkers in any setting in your marriage, very important in a marriage. Um, <laughs> and then the last one is, is just, just be kind. Um, and this really applies across the board again, everywhere, but certainly as you lead people, everybody has their own challenges. Most of the time, you're not going to know the stuff that's going on in your team members' lives, or you're going to know a very small part of it. So just understand everybody has their own crap. So just be kind, try to be understanding, try to understand where they're coming from. Um, those are the things that I think that I've learned throughout my career that if I if I actually had been told very early on, um, these are the things you should focus on, I think they would have helped me uh, along the way. Well, jumping back to your thing about uh, in relationships and uh, about listening and uh, responding, one of the best pieces of nuggets that I think I ever received was when your significant other is, is going to about to say something do you you ask the question do you want me to listen or do you want me to give feedback because there's two totally different ways of of kind of going forward with that conversation um, yeah it's that idea of um are, are you wanting support or are you wanting feedback like you said <laughs> because yeah that could take you down two totally different paths depending on um, where they're at <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, Darby, for, for being here today. If, if someone's listening right now and they want to kind of hear about what company you're with, what your journey is, I mean, even your book, what's the best way of them kind of reaching you? Yeah, I'm pretty much on all social media. Um, I'm most active. You can find me on LinkedIn um, as a business person, Darby Veneer. Um, just look up Darby Veneer and you'll find me. But you can also go to my website. It's beindispensable.com. Um, so... The, the indispensable leader information's on there. You can find information to contact me and everything as well. Beindispensable.com. And all the information is in the show notes. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Also, too, if you have a second in the show notes, too, it'll have access to um, uh, my teams, our website. We have some nonprofits out there. They're always looking for people for donations. So if you can do that, and while you're there, go buy Darby's book. Thank you, guys. Please subscribe. Please share and tell your friend. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.